I was listening to this psychologist answer questions online for people who had psychology questions. And one of the questions was, how can I be one who heals my trauma and like actually looks at my emotions and accepts it without falling into this victimization spiral that uh-huh. much of the culture, especially the liberal culture, wants people to fall into. Yeah. And his first answer was, why are the two even connected? Like he was saying that when you're genuinely expressing and connecting to the tone of your emotional pain, that it's just a very natural, chaotic cry from the depths of your soul. And organically, there's no need for the brain to categorize it into supreme victimization. Like organically, we used to come around in circles and sit together and sing and cry and shout together and just feel Mm. uh, our immense pain together. And we would feel it. And then we would say that that was good. Good job. You know, let's move on and cook something or go hunting together. And it's like a real silly thing that's happening these days because this reality is trying to convince people that in order to heal, they need to ascribe to victim mentality. And it's just not true. And what I've found in my own life is when I'm genuinely raw in my emotionality, I I don't feel the need to identify as a victim. I just feel the need to say that was absolutely horrible and that wasn't fair. And I'm so grateful I'm in a place of deep empowerment right now where I can see there was an injustice and move forward. And yes, in the moment I was a victim, but I'm not, why would I carry that wavelength of frequency with me? It's really just patronizing myself and true emotions don't want to be viewed as victims. They just want to be felt. So that's kind of my thought there. It's so sad that everyone is inclined to victim consciousness these days because it's just falling too far off the left end of the spectrum. Like organically, when we heal, we don't need that identity. So those are my thoughts on it. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that's how we actually heal, quote unquote, is by confronting whatever affliction may have happened to us in the past? And when we play the victim is actually kind of the opposite of confrontation of that. It's, you know, shooting it away and blaming it on somebody else and taking on the woe is me. Why did this happen to me? So do you think in order to truly, I guess, transcend our trauma, you have to be with it, sit with it, kind of digest it, and then you can move on in a way, not ignoring it, but accepting it for what it was. And then from there, I guess, like you said, you, you become empowered from that, right? From that, that acceptance, that almost radical acceptance of it. Absolutely. I would say that when we fall into the victim patterning too much, it's because we're not actually feeling it, the emotionality. It's because we're caught up in the part of the brain that wants to hyperanalyze it. And because this part of the brain wants to hyperanalyze it, it says, let me sew this into identification because I don't know how to deal with this emotionally because I'm just a brain. And the heart is saying, actually, let me feel it. And the brain's going, no, no, no. I'll just turn you into an infinite victim. And and that will give us a sense of power, right? Because yeah. right now, victims in our culture receive attention and power and awe and empathy. And so the brain's saying, how can I defend you and help you relate to our culture? Let me turn you into a victim. And the heart is lost. And that's what's so sad in this game. Like, the heart is completely betrayed. 
because the heart doesn't get a chance to actually grieve. When you're actually grieving, you're not thinking about how you're supposed to composite this grief into a system of identification or ideologies. When you're grieving, you're like, ah, that sucks. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You're you're not thinking in that neocortical part of your brain, you know? So, um, yeah, I I totally agree. It's like not people don't know how to feel anymore, I think, and they're confused. Mm -hmm. People don't know how to feel anymore, man. Yeah. true. But coming full circle, that's kind of how we started Mm -hmm. it. It's like um, how you describe that is the mind we're just over emasculated it seems <laughs> yeah and it's it, and it comes from the, the mind yeah trying to rationalize the trauma but it doesn't even it doesn't work like that i feel like you can't rationalize trauma there's no like equation or proof that one can come to and it could equal a sort of uh freedom or liberation from it truly i think we transcend trauma through a, a feminine sense through through the heart through actually feeling it but i mean that's very lofty talk so like how how do we uh, go about doing that? Like, what is a practice for one to kind of, I mean, in your own personal practice or what you've done with people, like, what do you, how do you get people into their heart and out of their heads, I guess is what I'm asking. Absolutely. And I think that's the most important question for any healer or trauma-informed psychologist to observe, because even classic Freudian psychology is just someone sitting next to someone on a couch Mm -hmm. and basically describing everything. They're not actually feeling it. And when we look at animals in the wild, when they go through a trauma, they have some sort of ritual that helps them to send the energy outwards that they've just compressed into their being. So Mm -hmm. you almost hit a deer in the car or something. It tumbles around, it runs off into the forest, and it will do like a shake thing often times to discharge. That's the word, to discharge the energy out. Mm -hmm. And so that way it's not stuck in the field and it's not like um, this weird, you know, tick that someone has in their own mind that's leading to them to cast these defensive thoughts and programs and ideologies and versions of themselves into this uh, matrix that doesn't really do good. So. I would say what's most important is, first off, are they ready to feel? That's the number one question. Mm. I get most of the clients who come through to work with me, they're not ready to feel. They need to talk about it first, which is totally fine. And after that, they reach a point where it's a point of initiation. It's a point where a higher source, maybe your soul or a higher part of you says, we've spoken about this. We understand it mentally. So we have a cognizant knowing about this. Are we ready to now feel it? Mm. And most people don't want to do that. And what I love about healing is feeling and actual healing comes down to choice of the individual. We really do have the free will. Now, feeling is one of the most daring things we can do, and we want to create a safe space to do it in. So a lot of hangups I'll see with people will be that they have cognitively rehearsed the trauma and understood it in their mind over and over again, but they are like in an abusive relationship or they're in a job that's abusive. They're in something that's still perpetuating the trauma. And so they don't want to admit this. And so they choose not to feel because they don't want to face reality. Cause if you actually felt you would understand that everything in your reality is not okay and that you need to rearrange it. And that would lead to a bit of an overwhelm. And then for other people, 
I think it all comes down to they don't have faith that as they do feel the pain and the torment they went through, that there's a higher force of love there to hold them. And this is why, you know, when you go into shamanic ceremonies, I went and did a shamanic ceremony in Sedona and the women actually held me as I cried. And that was very valuable for me to be physically held by her in a very safe way. And in this reality, we don't really do that. You know, we put someone on a couch or we put a mask on them or we spray the air with some type of disinfectant and we just look at them and wait for them to feel. That seems very alien. You know, it's very odd. Where's the empathy, the touch, the appropriate touch? Where's the let me hold your hand through this and sit around the fire and sing songs with you? So we've lost this sense of earthen connection to feeling, which is why I think it's really hard for people to feel. But we could go down that path for a while. Those are just some little thoughts. Yeah. Mm. Healing is feeling. It's a good one. Yeah, it <laughs> is. <a> <laughs> yeah. So the visualization that I got from that is, and from how I understand the, the human experience is that our bodies are like conduits of energy. Like we have, we're like radio antennas for this, the source energy, I guess you could say, some kind of, all energies, um, whatever it is, we, we're an in and input output machine. Um, but trauma to me seems like energy that gets stuck or imprinted in this majestic machine of the human body. And it seems like to me, I don't know, I'm still fully understanding this whole human experience, but it seems like we don't know how to um, get the trauma out. Like the trauma is just like stagnant energy that's stuck in our bodies and our being throughout, you know, maybe our life uh, throughout the years. It just gets stuck mm -hmm. in certain ways. And it seems like from what you just described in my other, you know, personal research, the way that we have to go about transcending the trauma and really becoming anew as uh, as a new, as a, you found individual as a healed individual is through like f feeling it. But what is feeling that, you know, like what it, it's like to confront it, like to, that's the thing. It's like, there's so many different modalities. I feel like to feel it, this healing is feeling premise. It definitely makes a lot of sense, but would you say that mm, there's, there's not like a one size fit all to that equation? Like it, it really depends upon the person about how to go about this, but ultimately summing it up is really connecting somebody to their emotions, to their, to their heart. And then once we can do that, that's how we kind of, uh, you know, squeeze the trauma out of our body. So yeah, my question is like, would you say that it's pertained to the individual or do you think there's some kind of standard to how we go about the, the healing and feeling? Absolutely. Yeah, I do think it's very different depending on the individual. And for example, I've worked with a lot of men and for them, working out, moving their bodies daily is a ritual that they cannot afford to ignore it as they're great. healing. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Does it yeah. Does it feel like you, you're able to feel more when you work out and move your body? How does that connect to feeling healing for you? Yeah, it gets me out of the... Uh... A too much masculine mindset it's like i don't know being a guy other guys can probably attest like you got that like natural hunter instinct in you where you just gotta go out and conquer the world <laughs> sometimes that's a little overwhelming so doing um 
you know, doing whatever it is, going for a run, lifting weights, yoga. Yoga is my preferred exercise. I think mm -hmm. it has something very attuned to, to energy work. Um, but whatever it is, man, just getting your body active, getting that energy out is very grounding. And it's not just for men either. I think women definitely also have that. You know, I don't, don't like to generalize, but the, the, the masculine essence is sometimes a little much. So if that gets stuck in one's being, which it happens a lot in my life, you know, could be a day-to-day -day basis. Like it's like a it's like a battery, right? I guess it's, I guess you can compare it to a battery that just gets a little too charged and you got to like even keel yourself. So um, yeah, afterwards I feel more grounded in my being and I'm able to get out of that go, go, go mindset and more into like another perspective on what's really going on here. Um, so yeah, it's just really summing it up. It brings me more into a balanced state of being more, more in tune with the feminine side of me. Yeah, I think that's really well said and stated because I actually was reading this today and I didn't get to verify it by another source. So I'm not 100% sure if it's true. But what I was reading is that a lot of the energy and power that men have flowing throughout their body actually comes from their testicles. Um, and this wasn't, yeah. yeah, yeah. And this wasn't like a, I know I said it like energy, but it wasn't like a hippie person talking about this. It was a doctor. And um, and then for females, they don't have testicles. Shock. So yeah, for females, a lot of it just comes from their adrenal reserves. So for them, it's like that energy they don't have as well, they don't have as much of that testosterone and whatnot to plug into. And because of that, I feel like that would indicate why for men, movement is so super important, mm -hmm. but there's got to be a lot of different reasons too. But yeah, I think that's really valuable to look into. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, so movement is important for some people more than others. For some females, it can be really important, especially like if they went through a sexual trauma to be able to reclaim their body through movement, mm -hmm. really, really special Basically, what's important for the individual is what they're leaning away from. So if the individual is leaning away from intimacy, they need to learn how to get more intimate. And it doesn't have to be sexual. If the individual is scared of everything in this reality and they don't want to leave their house, they need a caretaker or a trauma-informed person to help them help push them out into the world. So with healing, there's this nice balance of push pull that needs to occur where you do have to push yourself sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed a lot of people, they just get stuck in their healing story and they talk about it over and over again. It's like, once you've said it a few times and really figured it out, what's your next step? Well, it is to ask yourself, um, at what point in your life did this story slow you down from embodying your life and then follow those points in that constellation of your timeline and say, you know what, I slowed down here, here and here. And now I feel scared of these points because I slowed down and I stagnated around them. So now I'm going to push myself back to these points in time and expand my energetic field. And I'm gonna feel uncomfortable because what you said earlier is that there's so much stuck energy in the field for humans, which is true when they're traumatized. And so when they push themselves to do things, that are uncomfortable, but good for them, that is when that energy starts to evaporate or transmit into a higher degree of consciousness in the field. And so is it going to feel uncomfortable? 
and scary, of course, because it is this part of your field that has told you lies, this part of your field that has said, you need to live in this confinement so I can control you. Mm. Unhealed trauma is like the devil within us that tries to control us on a pathway to hell, essentially. And we have to say to this internal devil, actually, I don't want to go to hell. Uh, I want to go to heaven. And Climbing back up to heaven is going to be a bit of a struggle at first, but when I gain momentum and I remember the essence of source and love and God consciousness, it's actually going to be quite easy. And from there, the devil's transmuted into like an angel because the devil always was an angel, right? The devil was a fallen angel. So the devil reassumes its organic identity, which is of a higher conscious being. So yeah, but yeah, there's lots of ways to go with that, but that's where we go for now. Mm, That was good. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Clip that one. That <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it seems to be, well, heaven's always worth it, even though it may be the uh, the troubled road, it may be the, the tougher road to take. It's always worth it in the end. But it seems like in order for us to grow to that heaven-like state, we have to get out of our comfort zone. And it's not even like it's comfort, but is it really? I think it's just the devil telling you lies that you're comfortable. But in actuality, it's not true comfort. I don't even know if comfort is the right word, but you know that's that's all I can think of right now. <laughs> you know what I mean, though. It's like uh, it's a false sense of security. This this devilish uh, sort of parasitic energy that you you spoke about. Mm-hmm. But really, you have to go into that. You know, you have to go into the eye of the storm to see through the other side, which is, um, which is, yeah, which is more peace in your being, true comfort. Really, when you get through the false uh, Luciferian comfort, you can see that true comfort lies on the other side of that, and how much of a facade you were living your whole life. Uh, I'm not preaching. I'm speaking to myself here, kind of, <laughs> you know, speaking from personal experience. I've been through it. You know, I felt this like sense of false comfort through my, you know, just whatever, just running away from my trauma. We're all traumatized in one way or the other from our upbringing, from the world that we live in. And, uh, you know, I went through a rocky journey to get through it, to say the least. Maybe I'm still going through it, but it's been worth it. Really, all I got to say, it's worth it to anybody listening to this and to you, Mary, you know. It's worth it to go into the darkness, go into the the shadow self and come out the other side and and find that sort of light on the other side. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you did a good job by demonstrating the archetypal journey of the, whether it's symbolic or literal to someone, that's up to them, but the archetypal journey of the devil. The devil is this darkness that tries to rob you of that happiness. And then when it robs you of it, it forms you in a cocoon of false comfort. Mm -hmm. And you go back, we're doing a lot of like biblical references today, which, you know, the Bible can have some great pearls in it and also some really stupid nodes of programming too. So I recognize it's a ridiculous book in ways as well, but the story of Adam and Eve and all of humanity, like that's exactly what happened the devil pushed them into this dark abyss, manipulated them, and then tried to create these false comforts. And the false comforts came forth as sin. And, you know, B 
be a bit more lusty, be a bit more slothy, be a bit more gluttonous, mm -hmm. uh, lie, be greedy. You know, all of these in excess, what they do is they push the energetic field out of balance yeah. and they push you into that false comfort. You know, people who are addicted to porn and no shame to anyone, by the way, because we all have addictions that we're working out and healing right now. That's part of being a human. But when you're addicted to porn, you're... Uh, dopamine reserves become used to porn and your body is basically stuck in this cycle of false comfort, which is what you were saying. And that's the archetype of the devil. It uses false comfort to make you think you're comfortable, yep. but you're actually not. And to wake up every day and think, oh, I've got to go watch some porn. That's not actually comfortable. It's It's a horrible imprisonment of the mind and body. And then the body can't experience that flow with another person properly and that's not comfortable so again like you said so well it's this endless um, mirage of false comforts and i think that's such a good point to make because you may think sitting around your house not chasing your dreams waking up every morning and stepping into your soul is comfortable but that avoidance is um, deception it was never comfortable it never will be it will give you a sense of not having to risk anything, and that may appear as comfort, but in reality, you're actually risking something quite big by not risking anything at all. Mm -hmm. And that which you're risking is your purpose, your passion, your livelihood, and everything that your soul stands for is being wiped and scrubbed from the face of your reality. And that is the biggest risk I could ever imagine. Um, and then from there, lightning tends to hit you in certain ways, metaphorically, like even if you've shrouded yourself in a false sense of safety, risk and darkness and fear, they tend to find you and seek you out because you're running from them. Mm -hmm. And you're really just running from parts of yourselves that don't know how to deal with risk. But the minute you understand how to deal with risk in life is the minute you start to feel that comfort from source, from that higher love energy again. And I think it was Carl Jung that said something about how neuroticism, uh, being like neurotic or having neurotic behaviors actually can come from not having enough risk and having an initiation or a problem that life presents you, but not leaning into it. And when you don't lean into it, you almost sterilize your soul. And he actually said that neurotic wow. behavior is is what comes from that. And I thought that was the coolest revelation I had heard uh, all week. So yeah, that kind of ties in too. Yeah, that's interesting. The sterilization of the soul because we don't lean into yeah. our innate purpose, right? Is that what you're saying? Right. Yeah. And, and when we don't lean into our innate purpose, we create like a neurotic illness of the mind because the mind is linked to the soul, right? And mm. that neurotic illness becomes like hyper obsessed with minuscule details of our reality um, that it wants to control because it no longer has control of its soul and its purpose Damn. because it's forfeited its initiation. And when you forfeit and ignore your initiation and your need to step into healthy risk, that's when you become mentally a bit sick sometimes that's not the reason for all mental illnesses of course but that that's what he tied to neurotic yeah experience uh, mm. that's good damn i know it, it makes you want to just live your life doesn't it <laughs> that's for sure i feel like i've realized that though i just put in a slightly different terms but i've come to realize that in my life that we all mm -hmm. do have some kind of innate purpose. At least I found that in my life. But do you yeah. think that every single human being has 
an innate purpose here? I definitely do. I, I do think there's so many different, and this is just my theory, so everyone can take their own theories and mash them together. But I do think that there's so many different levels of reality and where different souls come from. And I used to work with babies when I was much younger. I was actually paid to play ukulele uh, for infants. It was a really fun job. Wow. Yeah, they would just rest and I would just play soothing songs. <laughs> 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 it was yeah it was a great like first job and i i was like looking at these babies and just feeling different energies and thinking you guys are not from the same place you're all from different places you're all so unique and i think in our past time and past history we kind of knew this that souls had different versions of themselves and maybe realms that they came from but over time we were indoctrinated to believe that uh, life itself is a coincidence of silliness and that the soul has no meaning. So that sucks. But um, yeah, I just feel like it depends on the soul. And every soul, though, does have something they're supposed to move forward, like like a crux they're supposed to jump over or an intersection they're supposed to cross or an initiation that's meant to be had. And one person's purpose could be to just really do some emotional work. Another person's could be to honor someone and to be more intimate with someone that they maybe dissolved connections with in a past life out of greed or something. I'm not sure. But um, and then you have souls from maybe different realms who have a bit more of an intense purpose. But we have to be careful with the whole methodology of purpose too because the ego likes to cling on to it and become yeah. grandiose with it and turn it into a messiah complex or a save the world complex and one thing i know is your true purpose will leave you feeling resoundingly calm yeah. and relaxed and it won't feel like you have to wake up every day drink a bunch of coffee and like grab life in the way of look at me life look at me and how amazing i am it will never feel like a rush or like a desire to have to showcase yourself to the world. And most people stuck on social media think that's their purpose. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's effortless, right? Going back to that essence, it's like effortless, effortless living. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Because it's like it's effortless, but then you're traumatized sometimes, right? And then when you're traumatized, your purpose can feel like fire itself burning your flesh like you know what i mean because if your purpose for example part of my purpose i feel is to grow in my music work with my connection to my songs and stuff and growing in that and connecting to instruments and stuff was so painful for me when i was younger because it would open my heart so deeply and my heart was so hurt so i guess it depends on where you're at in your path but if you're at the healed part then it is effortless and that is good <laughs> Mm. Well, I'd imagine if you keep practicing your music, you'll get to the other side per se, and it will be effortless. Yeah, if you keep feeling this pull back to it again and again, because yeah. your purpose is like a magnet that constantly pulls you into its field. Mm. If you feel that consistent pull, then what's ironic is like working through the conflicts and the issues that your purpose is bringing up in you will make you a better person and a better soul and it will also bring you closer to your purpose 
and closer to that effortlessness too. So even your purpose was designed to heal your trauma. Mm -hmm. So at least we know that the purpose should indicate evolution on the path of healing. And if your purpose feels like it's destroying you and not healing you, then it may be the wrong purpose or something. Yeah. Do you think you could also flip the coin and say that our trauma was meant for us to find our purpose? Yeah, I think that's that's a very interesting concept. And I think it creates a lot of muddy water in the spiritual world. Not, not that it's bad. I don't think it's bad. I think it's wise. But I also think it can be used in the wrong way, just as everything can. But I I feel like a lot of times what we forget as spiritual creatures is you know, our path and our livelihood, it's this gigantic mathematical, mathematical, I didn't mean to say mathematical, like but that's that word, actually, though. that should be a word. I've never Math heard that before. I'm like, like that's it. actually really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the mathematical equation. Yeah, just, just stick with it. Stay with I it. Love that. Oh my God. It sounds so like hokey, but I actually do like it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> But yeah, there's this like mathematical equation thing happening and you're just one element in the equation. So it could be that on one level, the trauma was somehow helping you to get closer to your purpose. It could be on another level, it wasn't. And then it could be on another level, the trauma was helping the other person realize their purpose by realizing they needed to heal and that they messed up. Like, there's so yeah, many different levels. levels. Mm -hmm. It's and it's really up to each person to figure out the levels that connect to them. And at different parts in my healing, I was like, this trauma was unnecessary. And then at other parts, I looked at my soul and I felt actually this trauma I kind of needed as a soul yeah. but that's just my opinion what what do you feel about your traumas in your life and that stuff I feel as though I take the popular yogic sense in that our karma eventually leads us to our dharma so that's just another w way of saying mm -hmm. what you just said uh, I think it's how we respond to our trauma or our karma and if we want to use it as a certain lesson to wake us up to our purpose. That's what I believe. I mean, but yeah, there's there's layers to it. Like you said, you can you could really get into it, but putting it at a very simple sense, it's that I do fully believe that we go through stuff so that we learn our lessons so that we don't necessarily have to go through it again. <laughs> we better, you know, so we wise <laughs> up and learn our lesson and kind of uh yeah, we wise up. We we gain wisdom from our experiences. So I, that's the that's the viewpoint that I take of the shit that we go through in our life. It's that, um, in one way, it's to make us better people. I know that's putting it very simply again, but it's it's one way to just make us a better person and, and purify our soul, so that ideally we don't build more karma and it and it happens again, or it doesn't happen again. I think that is cool. I would propose the question, how do people look at their karma, their potentiated karma, without blaming and shaming themselves for pulling it into their field? Because when I was younger, I would get caught in so much blame, shame around that. And I know that some clients who come to me, if I was like, hey, Judy, um, yeah, all this happened because of your karma. I know that that could destroy that person <laughs> at their point in healing, you know, and other people would be like, oh, totally. Yeah, they would be super into it. So how do you feel like that can, that theory and that philosophy can survive without shame, like 
uh, taking control of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's exactly what we just spoke about in the last half an hour or so. I would never say any, if somebody were to genuinely come to me like that, I would never say, well, you know, it's because you're karma and you're reaping your karma. It's the same thing that you would say, well, if somebody came to you and you say, well, yeah, you know, everything happens for a reason. It's like, you don't, you don't really say those things, even though it might be true behind the scenes at a sort of, you know, etheric astral level. Um, it's the same premise that we spoke about. It's, it's you, you, you confront your karma. You don't play the victim even though you kind of, in a way, are innately victimized, it's like you don't play the victim. You don't take that victim energy going forward. And that's how you clear your karma. Like, even though you have the affliction, doesn't mean you have to play the afflicted from that. So that's mm -hmm. how I would say you clear your karma to, uh, to, be, to open yourself up or wake yourself up to your purpose or your dharma it's we just we, we spoke about that already we just used different we didn't use the yogic terms but it's the same essence i love that you just flipped the terms that was perfect yeah. i think that's so well said and that like brings the conversation so <laughs> in into the most beautiful circle i love really that does. yeah <laughs> yeah it's really just being able to to the best of our ability obviously easier said than done view right the events in our life and the phenomena that happens in our life as something that happens for us and not to us. And like I said, obviously easier said than done. But if one can keep that in the back of their head, that maybe, just maybe, things are happening for you to um, align you to a greater sense of being that ultimately transcends whatever affliction happened to you, then I think that's a good ideal. Like to keep that, that's at least for me, I'm speaking personally, like whatever mm -hmm. happens to me, it's to, it's to show me that there's, there's a greater sense in me that ultimately transcends whatever, um, whatever event traumatized me or made me feel like the victim. Ultimately, it's to wake me up and reorient me back to, back to God, you could say, if you really want to use the G word, back to like the, back to source, back to that, that infinite consciousness that's within us that whatever you want to call it that 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 higher being your soul there's a lot of different words but it's like all of these things on the phenomenal plane of the the five senses and the mind are really just how i see it is to orient us back to god and it might take lifetimes some people say you know in, in the in the hindu scriptures and in, in, in buddhism they say that our karma isn't just of this life it's also from from future uh from past lives into the future as well so maybe that's a thing but either way, it's still the same. You still act the same. Like even if, if you want to believe in the past lives and the future lives, it's still act accordingly to like whatever your karma, whatever happens in your life to, to take, a, to not use the yogic terms. It's like whatever trauma happens in your life, transmutate that energy and use it for your own growth. It's that simple. It's really that simple. And to escape the victimhood mentality that ultimately just brings about more suffering. Um, yeah, so it depends how you want to say it, whatever flavor you want to spice it up with, but the truth is the truth, whatever way you want to put it. And, uh, I believe that's kind of what the human experience is about is we live and learn, live and learn, man. We learn so much. Yeah. Even when we don't realize it, even when we're living the most chaotic of lives, our soul's taking in so much data, it's so special and, you know, to add to what you said, even if 
something that occurs is karmic for someone. Part of healing that karmic turmoil may be for them to feel like it's not karmic too. So there might be a point on their healing journey where they need to be like, wow, screw all this. I'm so mad at everything. I hate the world, you know? And that cathartic, like anger might need to just spill forth. And then it could be that a couple of weeks later they go, oh, actually there's some dots connecting here too. And that I think where people get confused as well is like, yeah, just because someone was abusive to you or a perpetrator to you, and maybe there was some type of karma connection there, that doesn't mean it's okay. You know, like humans, there's karma and there's dharma, but there's also free will. There's all these different laws interplaying with one another at once. And just because someone does something to you that's outrageously cruel, it's like if we lived in a higher level reality, I don't think the cruelty would be so normal. And I think that though we would have karmic strands that need to be worked out in our field, because all of us do, I think that it wouldn't be worked out in such a magnified dark way. So there's also this idea of this reality being a little bit glitched and a little bit fallen in a way and some people, some humans being a bit fallen too. So it's like important for us to give the karma back to people who are like incredibly abusive and sort of say, even if this connected with me, you still did it. And so that's on on your soul. That's for your soul to figure out over time. But yeah, there's so many elements to this. It just... The rabbit hole keeps getting deeper and deeper. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. There's so many elements to uh, this human experience. Ultimately, yeah. it's just a concept. Karma is really just a, another concept, and it is um, there is the potential for it to be used as a sort of spiritual bypassing. Even though I do hold it as a truth in this this whole universe, um, yeah, it's like don't even get hung up on that either, because then you're just building karma. If you if you rely on karma, yeah. then the ironic thing is like you're building karma for yourself. It's it's a weird like uh, almost paradoxical thing. It's an ironic thing. It's like you can't. It's like recognize that it's a thing, but like once you if you rely on that, then you're actually building bad karma for yourself. If you justify everything with like oh that's just his karma or my karma, it's just like no that's just that's another attachment. So yeah, it's a weird weird game you have to play. It's mm-hmm. a weird game, but um, it makes sense. It's just hard to convey in words, obviously, because we're trying to do it, you know. Do a subject-object orientation with our very uh, our, our language that has a lot of uh, a lot of fallacies and just a lot of inconsistencies in how we speak the English language especially. So it's not it's like we're not quite. First of all, I don't I don't I'm not saying I understand everything about karma and dharma. And then second of all, the way that I'm trying to convey it with words in this moment, um, it doesn't really do it quite justice either so yeah there's a lot of funny business in the world but then also like how we convey and understand the funny business is uh tricky as well it's so tricky it is i mean just communicating the depths of our souls we are each a universe unto ourselves and to have to communicate that it's so hard when there's this universe encompassed in this body that's like living on this linear timeline it's almost (laughs) like this reality itself is just gaslighting because it's like yeah your soul it's this cosmological clock of universal potential but you're in this body that's kind of dying and also there's a matrix that you're into and this matrix is telling you lies all the time on the tv Mm -hmm. and on social media so it's it's so funny. I think gaslighting is so upsetting for people because it's what's happening to everyone to some degree. So therefore, I think it's a high trigger for many to experience it. So 
Yeah, it's weird to think of like this entire existence having a link to being that of a gaslighting experience at times and also that of a beautiful experience. Mm. And it gets confusing because it's paradoxical. On one end, you're being like gaslit and you're being lied to and you're being confused. And then on the other end, there's so much love and beauty and endless abundance. So yeah. it's a lot to to figure out. So we're just trying our best in this little conversation today to figure it all out, aren't we? Yeah, we're trying our best with mouth noises, just dancing yes. our lips and our tongue. Yeah, some verbal mutterings and hoping to figure out the universe. But I don't know. I think we're doing our right job. <laughs> we're getting there. I, yeah, I, th- I think it's been quite fun uh, so far. Our talks and yeah, it's it's fun to have these different uh, modalities of conversation to bounce these theories and principles off one another because it feels like two neurons firing within the body and just creating that deeper connection and knowing of the body, which is humanity. So it's really mm-hmm. cool. It is cool. Yeah, that's why I like doing this. This is a this is a uh, spiritual experience to have a yeah. conversation with somebody that isn't even. I don't even know if you exist. All I know is that you're a you're True. an image on the screen <laughs> and you're, you're audio in my headphones. But for all I know, you don't even exist. But obviously, mm-hmm. that's just a joke. I know you exist as a, as a soul, as a human being. But it's just a, isn't that so magical that we live in a, in a time where we can share this moment and not be local? Like you're miles away from me not you know we're not near each other whatsoever yet we feel as though we are like we we share this kind of like non-local space through space and time it's such it's so magical we take it for granted because everybody can do that you can just facetime anybody but really when you sit down and think about what we're doing and hopefully i'm not like too egocentric in what i'm speaking about right now i don't think so but what we're doing is pretty damn magical man like this kind of technology and Maybe the stuff we're talking about too is also pretty magical. Like the kind of like we're, we're literally opening our hearts to each other in the world, and to do that, I'm so grateful. You know, I'm so grateful that I can speak to you and all the people and have this experience. It's a side enough for me. You know, it's a, it's a spiritual, uh, a spiritual journey for me to be able to do this. So, yeah, I thank you for uh, for aiding me in my sadhana. I appreciate this, Mary. I uh, thank you for aiding me too, Gary. I feel like. It would just really suck to be around at a time period where you're born into a village and that village is a bit culty, you know, and Mm. maybe if you're a bit into herbs or something, you're a witch and they burn you. (laughs) And in this reality, we can at least jump across to different dimensions within time and escape some of the weird places while exploring some of the great depths of one another's souls from wherever we're at. So, yeah, I I replicate that since and yeah maybe one day you'll see me in person and know that i'm real too i'm coming to america in the summer so i'll have to prove to you that i exist but yeah for now you don't know for now it's a mystery yeah i I revere the mystery (laughs) yes enjoy the mystery exactly yeah well you know what on that note um i think we can wrap this thing up do you have any last words you want to keep it at that uh no i think that was perfect it was so great to catch up and i look forward to our next catch up same wish you all the best thank you anybody for listening well messed that one up thank you anybody that listened this long um yeah (laughs) your your time effort and wisdom mary um yeah like i said wish you all the best and be well bye bye